Folks, thank you all for tuning in to the Josh Terry Podcast. I want to give a big thank you to each and every one of our sponsors, 3B Construction and Roofing, Your Choice Healthcare, Lori's Dive-In, DPF Alternatives, Nobles Networking, Project K9 Hero, Cottonfield Grill, Pearl Promoting. Shout out to my girl, Miss Anna. Thank you for everything you do, darling. Backroad Park and Event Venue. Hello to Mr. Kevin and Ty. Uh, Kevin, thank you very much for letting us use your, uh, your beach house next week. I hope we don't mess it up too bad. And thank you, boys, for coming and being part of it. Cashman's Pub, my dude Ron. Uh, down the under hat code, Deep South Chemicals. Hey there, Mr. Scott. And better than basic, uh, Miss Erica, who does our website. You please go check that out now. Buy some merch. That's thejoshterrypodcast.com. Thank you to each and every one of you guys. Uh, I know I didn't say all of your names, but we're going to change it up how we do this sometimes. We're going to do a couple episodes to where the uh, the ads run longer, and some of them, they run a little shorter. But I d- either way, however it goes, thank you to all of y'all. You guys are such a big help for everything that I do. And thank you to each and every one of you listeners. Now, let's get into the show. What's up, folks? Thank you all for tuning into the Josh Terry Podcast. Uh, this is my third show of today. We have had a great day. This one will be coming out Friday on the, I guess, the 8th. But this show has been months in the making. Uh, I saw these guys play one song at the local, didn't know who they were, missed their whole set, was blown away by the last song that I heard, and then found them again on TikTok, just blowing my fucking mind if y'all have listened to the show ever you know i love traditional country and these boys right here are some of my favorites they're actually playing my birthday round next week in uh nashville at live oak too so y'all should come out on the 13th but i'd like to introduce y'all to the reeves brothers what is up boys what's up josh thanks for having us man we appreciate this man and uh, man we're happy we got connected with you Y'all even look like real country artists, and I mean that like uh, it's not one of those I got to think that somebody's going to get on here and they got white cowboy boots and some glitter all over them. You guys are the real deal. Josh, I would kill. I would kill for a white pair of cowboy boots with glitter all over them. I'd feel just like uh, David Allen Coe. Oh, oh. Man, uh, so fun fact is uh, I'm getting a, a sleeve right now, a tattoo sleeve, and I've got my first two pieces, and it's my favorite country artist of all time. And the first one that I got is Keith Whitley. Uh, i got a Kentucky yes. Bluebird holding a guitar. He's my all-time favorite. Then I've got a possum uh, for George Jones, uh, and uh, it's got no show underneath it. But my next one that's going on my elbow is David Allen Coe's Rhinestone Belt Buckle. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, yeah. I I love meeting David Allen Coe. 
Oh, man, he is uh, – he's, he's gotten such a bad rep over certain stupid things. But, man, like there is some of the most – regardless of his attitude and everything else, his music and his writing is some of the greatest in country music, bar none. Yeah, him and uh, old Paycheck. Paycheck is one of my favorites, oh. too. And I, I put them hand in hand together. Okay. Amen. Yeah. So uh, what are you guys up to right now? It looks like one of y'all's out having a, a good time and the other one's at home being a good boy. Well, that, am, that, uh, that is what's happening. I'm I'm lucky I'm lucky enough and unfortunate enough to not have a girlfriend. So I'm at the bar <laughs> hanging out. Matt Matt is uh, visiting his girlfriend. Uh what bar so, yeah, I'm here in Arkansas. I'm in Arkansas right now with my uh, yeah with my girlfriend. I'm heading back tomorrow because uh, we got a we funny enough we got a gig at the local tomorrow night, uh, 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. So I got to drive about nine hours back to Nashville and and uh, and do the gig. So yeah, I'm I'm here being family man right now. Pulls out honky dogging. What what bar are you at, Cole? I'm actually at Bee's Cocktail Lounge watching John Bird. Okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I what, came out here with a buddy of mine. Nice. So how did uh how long have y'all been doing this? And I just hate that I don't know more about you guys, by the way. But how, Dude, how long have y'all been doing this? That's what these podcasts are for. I'll uh, yeah. We started uh, our whole well, our whole life we've been doing it. Our dad was uh, our dad was a country music entertainer, starting in probably nineteen sixty six or nineteen sixty seven out in california and uh so when we were when we were kids he had just retired back to a uh to a little community called bella vista arkansas and uh he sat out there for a while and then eventually he got not reacquainted but one of his old employers and a friend jan jensen called him and asked if he would move back to nevada and be the house band at a venue called the stage shop bar in Pahrump. and that was when i was four years old so he kind of made a stipulation that he would come as long as it was okay if Matt and I were in the bar every night with him and got to be around the country music and be involved in it because he was kind of wanting us to be involved in the music and so he always kept it around us so we as soon as we moved back there I think we were always at the bar and always playing and involved in the talent night every Sunday they had a talent night and we'd be involved in that. And then we'd be in every night of the week. He played five nights a week when we first moved out there and he would have a thin every night and playing. That's cool. Y'all have such a unique sound, by the way, like it is where I could have picked you up in the seventies and placed you in 2023. And it's like you, you were made for that generation. Is, did a lot of that influence come from y'all going around those bars? Yeah, a lot of it, I think, came from that. I mean, that was what our dad, that was primarily his era in country music was that 70s, uh, 80s, like late 60s, early 80s was like his prime in country music. So so that was what he was always doing every night, you know, the Haggard and the Waylon and Charlie Rich, Charlie Pride, Conway Twitty, stuff like that. Oh, God, yes. And, uh, I know I started playing guitar for him when I was – when I was 13, so I had to know all those songs. And, and then Cole started playing bass for our dad when, when Cole turned, you know, about 13. And he had to know all the songs, too. So we kind of just grew up having to know them all. And and uh, and that's 
we were fortunate enough. We grew up also loving it while we had to learn it. So it, it worked out good for us. How old are y'all now? Because I got a feeling you're going to be younger than I think you are. I'm 28. I'm, I'm 28. <laughs> yeah, Cole's 28, and I'm uh, I'm 30. I'll be 33 in October. Yeah, if people were to sit there and listen to y'all, you look young. But hearing y'all play, I would have definitely thought like this was a band. Or these are two brothers that we just happened to miss. It's been around forever. Oh, yeah, I know. We well, we've been around forever, but a lot of people have, have missed us. <laughs> <laughs> Are y'all are y'all just now getting it to where or just now finding out that people are you are getting exposed to y'all? Yeah, people a lot of a lot of people are starting to get our our fan base is starting to grow, but we've you know been fortunate enough in the last uh, year year and a half we you know we opened up that whole tour for Justin Moore his country on it tour. Uh, we were on a bunch of those dates, and then we got on uh, we're on Craig Morgan's current tour the god family and country tour uh and we're playing every show on that tour with craig so we've just been really really lucky and been getting more exposed and more people have been finding out about us and there's more people doing you know the tiktok stuff and the podcast stuff that have noticed us and kind of shined our light on all of their listeners like like yourself and there's a lady nikki in nashville uh that has a tiktok where she kind of you know pushes traditional country artists out there and so there's a lot of people that are getting more involved in that, and I think it's helping us out a lot. Yeah, y'all are definitely two that – I was talking about Brett Shiroki with somebody earlier today, and I, I'm a big Brett Shiroki fan, and it's where I feel like people like y'all, it's just going to take the right stage, the right platform, and y'all are going to really blow the hell up. It's, it's what – it's the kind of music that everybody's craving, not the shit that we're getting pushed down our throats on terrestrial radio. It's actual country music being played. And I think that there's such a market for it now. And it just takes one time. I think it really just takes one time and it just all changes for you guys. Well, we, uh, we're, we're hoping to continue growing and keep, uh, continue to be able to be, we, you know, we've relocated to Nashville and, uh, and we're just hoping that we can, keep up with that because we've made a lot of connections through being here and we've uh, we've recently been spending some time with Winona Judd and getting to know her and her husband Cactus and then the Craig Morgan uh, asked us to be on his new tour so it's just been really been an eye-opener being here and being just more connected in with everyone there's a I know people give Nashville a bad rep for the modern country music but there really is all walks of life in Nashville and tradition oh, yeah. a lot of traditional country here yeah, it's just nobody – I'm not saying nobody wants to push it because there's a hundred of me. Like, I'm not the only yeah. person that sits there and wants to die on that cross. But it just, to me, seems like the people who want to push traditional country are the ones who might not have the biggest social media presence. So it takes a little yeah. bit longer for, it to, for people to catch on to it. Yeah. Yeah, and even – like even the guys that you know started off, I feel like really pushing traditional country have gotten like caught up in, I don't know, caught up in things that things that aren't really they're more Americana than they are traditional yeah. country. So then when you do, I know when we released our last album that that was, you know, we were trying to release it and a bunch of people like that were like, well, this is just too country. 
And it's like, well, that's what you push. And, and, you know, it's more that they're kind of wanting to push, uh, they're kind of wanting to push, push an edgier, uh, yeah, version of country music that, uh, when you're doing just like straight up traditional country, you're like, well, you're not edgy, you know, but you know, we're just really trying to do country music. And so that makes it tough. Well, I think you're just being genuine though and authentic. And that's what kind of shines through with your music. And even like y'all now, you can tell it's not a gimmick. It's not an act. This is who you are. And a lot of people that try to do the traditional country, like you can see through that shit so quick and be like, oh, no, they're just, you know, they're trying to be different, but they're not authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So when we first got to town, one of the, First people that we sat and talked with, he said something that stuck with me. He said, you know, you can only fake it for so long until yeah. who you are becomes, you know, comes out. And I agree with that. You know, there's, you know, I know several artists that have, that have told me firsthand, you know, yeah, we're, we're riding a bandwagon. Like it's popular right now. It's underground and we like being involved in the underground scene and the cool stuff that's going on. And when that changes, we'll change with it. If it's 70s country, if it's 90s country, whatever it is, we'll go with it. Yeah, yeah. I, that's not our deal. We just kind of do what we do. Yeah, I have developed in the past probably year a sneaky obsession with '80s country for some reason. Ronnie Millsap mm-hmm. and all that. I guess oh. I just, I guess I just miss somehow. Like Ronnie wasn't one that like I grew up listening to, but there's a Earl Thomas Conley, all the stuff from the '80s. Like it's just, yeah. you guys remind me a lot of that. Oh, those guys were badass. I was just. I was on a plane the other day when Matt and I were and our manager flew to Wyoming for a show and I was texting our old skill player, a kid named Caleb Mello, and he, we were going back and forth sending each other some uh, Marty Robbins records that Billy Sherrill had produced. And I said, Man, nobody nobody's corner in that market of the of the seventies and early eighties country music that had synthesizer in it and like horn sections and it was but it still had that country feel. But it had that pop feel too, you know, that crossover country stuff at that time was killer. Kenny Rogers, Glenn Campbell, all of them were Ronnie Millsap, all those guys were doing that cool thing at that time. Yeah, it's almost when you listen back to it, it's weird. And you can hear somebody like in the back of your head saying, you know, you had some old school country artists that was like, This shit ain't country. And now today we're like, This is fucking amazing. This is country music. Oh, oh sure. <laughs> Yeah, our dad used to make fun of those people. I mean, it was like the people he would – like he used to make fun of Johnny Lee. Or our dad would. He's like, oh, Johnny Lee didn't know country music. He, that was a bunch of urban cowboy bullshit, you know. And now you listen back to what they were talking about at the time and you're thinking, this is country music. You know, I mean, if country music was Johnny Lee and Mickey Gilly country music again, it would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but – well, I, I think country music isn't always about the instruments. I think it's always been about the storytelling. I think that it really doesn't yeah. matter what's behind the artist if they're, if they're telling a real story that connects with people. I think to where now... 100%. I think now some of the shit that they call country and they're trying to tell you that it's country, it's, it's not that it's bad. I'm sure it works for somebody. I mean, the chart showed that some of that shit really works for people. But it's where it doesn't have a story behind it. I have no connection with it. That's why I don't like it. Yeah. 
Cole knows well, I've said this like like 20 times in about the past two weeks, but that's what I was saying about, like, there's people who will talk shit about, like, early 2000s country, but, man, if you go and listen to, like, a song like uh, like The Impossible by Joe Nichols, like, yeah, that is such a great story song. Like, yeah, I mean, you don't have to like the era of country music, but if you actually love country music, that should touch you somewhere in your heart because it does. I mean, it's a phenomenal story song, you know, or Three Wooden Crosses or something like that, you know. And I think you're right. I think, you know, every every era of country music has great has somewhere you're going to find somebody who's writing great country music, you know, for that era. Yeah, anybody that tells me that they don't like Joe Nichols, I about want to kick them. Joe Nichols has some of my favorite. Talk Me Out of Tampa oh. is one of my all-time favorite songs. And um, Dude, Joe Nichols is amazing. Oh, my God. Even like the yeah. – what, what is the name of that song? Uh, he he wrote a song, and it's like My Old Friend or something, where he's losing – The day I said goodbye to an old friend of mine. Yep, that's it right there. That song, if it does not bring you to tears – and just touch you. I don't want to ever listen yeah. to the song again. Yeah, about him quitting yeah. drinking. Yeah, it's so fucking yeah. good. Yeah, that's yeah. a great tune. Speaking I remember of, the music video of him on the piano when that came out. Oh, I've never seen the music video. Yeah, I think he's sitting on a piano today. I said something or did something. I never thought I'd do. That's a good one. Yeah, speaking of sober and up songs, the one y'all got, the sober up to face the night. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you guys have got some songs that when I play for my friends. So my studio is still in Georgia. I'm just in Nashville once a month recording for a week at a time with artists and doing our shows at Live Oak and other places. And y'all are ones that I always play for my friends back home. Like we're riding dirt roads or we're doing whatever. And most of the time they automatically think that it's not a current, a current group. Like a current duo or whatever, they're always like, "Oh, they've yeah. got to be, they've got to be old." And it just seems like even the one that y'all just recently dropped, the Medicine Man song, every one that y'all put out is a banger. I have yet to have anybody be like, "Yeah, I don't really like this." Oh man, well, we appreciate that. We appreciate you showing showing our music to people uh, and and helping get it out there because that's a uh, it's a struggle. That's a struggle getting it out there and getting. Something weird happened, you know, and I'm just throwing this off topic, you know, our Spotify. Who the hell know how to, knows how that works? I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but man, the other day we were getting like randomly for three days in a row, we were getting like every time we looked at our Spotify artist account, we were getting like 45, 45 people were listening to our song at all times. Yeah. And Matt and I were, uh, Matt and I were talking and it was like, what is going on here you know and then all of a sudden it just shut down it went back to normal and so you know just who knows what gets them promoting your music out to people's radio stations but i feel like it's you know got to be something to do with people talking about you and turning your music on and then it shows oh well there's a bunch of people listening to your music yeah, well, and that's I, been our goal because we, you know, it's hard to afford a publicist and everything that a lot of other artists are doing. Well, I don't, I don't think you need one in this day and age. To be honest with you, I'm a big believer in so. So what I do 
for my riders rounds. Uh, y'all figure it out next week. But like, I take the people that I want to push, the the people that I like, and I put them in a room with social media personalities that have huge followings. Because the the sad thing is, is like if you're a creative person like you guys, you're not always good at social media. You're you're not. It's hard because you're focused and you're good at music. It, it's it's very hard to do both of those things. So what I try to do is get these social media personalities to share all of your stuff and be part of our shows to where all of a sudden, you know, you've got two or three girls that are in the crowd that's got a couple million followers each on TikTok and shit, and they're, they're sharing the Reeves Brothers stuff because they like it. They just didn't know that they liked it before. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. But that's also, super cool. But also, too, all it would take, like I said, because of the stupid algorithms and all that bullshit, that we have on Instagram, TikTok, and all that kind of stuff, there's no excuse why you guys shouldn't be one of those getting millions of views. Because I know those are the type, you're the type of artist that, artists that people want to listen to. And it just takes the right person showing. And like, I'm not always the right person, don't get me wrong. But if I'm going to work in this industry and I'm going to work around artists, I want to push the people that I think need to be pushed. So that's kind of my way of, uh, you scratch my back and do a show and play around for us. We want to make sure that you guys get exposure to where maybe you wouldn't have got it before. Well, man, we appreciate that like so much. And that, that yeah, that's a killer way just to look at it, man. And that reminds us, uh, you know, our dad used to, our dad used to talk about being in Los Angeles and he was like, man, everybody was just such a, like a helping community there. Like everybody was trying to, you know, if you couldn't do a gig, you'd call somebody else and be like, oh, well, my friend over here, he can do it, you know? And it was kind of that way back then, you know, that that's when Johnny Paycheck and like Vern Gosden and, and guys like that were roaming around, you know, LA and they were all just trying to make it, you know, making $30 to $50 a night back in the sixties. And I, I love that genre and I love how much they helped each other and how much they pushed. Oh each yeah. And, and that's where I, I think, too. and that's where I think like we need more of that now. Like I know people have their, their groups and shit they write with and, and all that kind of stuff. But even me and our group that we're around and we write with, it's like all of a sudden I'll hear somebody like y'all and it's like, I want to write a fucking song for them. I want to write it the way that they sing it and the way that they put it out. And I feel like that's all they used to do is scratch each other's backs. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. Think about Merle Haggard getting started off of a Wayne Stewart song and asking Wayne Stewart if he could record it. (laughs) Well, they're saying, man, if you how much do you like me? When sure, it's like, I like you a lot. He goes, would you like me enough to let me cut that song of yours before you do? I love stories like that. Well, when y'all first, uh, when y'all, well, how long have y'all been in Nashville, by the way? A year and a half. Just over a year? Yeah, not even a year we and a half. got here yeah. last July. Yeah, about 14 months. I got you. Moved, uh, we moved there the 4th of July. We moved to Nashville. Oh, absolutely. Um, So, I got a question for y'all for next week, by the way, since y'all are playing the round. Uh, so my round next week, by the way, is weird as shit. 
So everybody knows that's done our shows for the past couple years up there is I love to hear the songs that got you in the country, the songs that nobody else requests you to play. Like I have a bunch of up and coming artists that'll come in there and play and they'll be like, Oh, let me play you this one. That's not an original, but it's something that they get requested to play on Broadway all the time. And I tell them, I don't want to hear that shit. Like I want to hear what made you get into country music. So I was actually going to see if you guys would be cool with it. If I give y'all the last hour of the show next week from five to six, if y'all just wanted to get there and play whatever the hell y'all wanted to for an hour. Yeah, we'd love yeah. that. Yeah, we'd love, absolutely that. love that. Well, cool. Well, there that seals it. That makes it like on our last one, we had uh, Bobby Pinson and Jason Michael Carroll and uh, Chad Prather get up there and end the show. And they wanted to keep going. But this, like this was a 5 to 11 show. This one, the one we're doing next week is earlier because it's we've got some stuff we got to do later at night. But I was just thinking for – because to y'all now, this is a job. Uh, so we probably get requests, even though I know you probably hate paying this shit or whatever. I don't, I don't blame you one bit, but there's a lot of people that don't just get to go play shows the way they want to anymore. So I try to make it to when an artist comes and does anything with us, you get to do whatever the hell you want to. Like if you want to get there, you want to play old George Jones songs or Keith Whitley or Merle, I want you to feel free to do whatever the hell you want to with us. I don't want it to just be a job or whatever when you're around us. So I was actually going to be like, hey, guys, you want to do that? So I appreciate it if y'all wouldn't mind. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, man, we, we cannot to. wait for that. What uh, what was the first song y'all put out in Nashville that got you any attention? Well, Josh, we're still waiting for a song to get attention <laughs> that we put out. <laughs> I have a hard yeah. time believing uh, Yeah, I think uh, – uh, one that one that got a lot of we didn't release this when we were in Nashville. We actually, I'll I'll tell you uh, kind of a little bit of our backstory just about our last album, which I feel like was uh, you know all every album we've done three records, and I think every album we've done had its you know benefits of or looking back, you know, helped us in one way or another. Um, our first our first record just got our feet wet, and, you know, having a music career and got us our I think it helped a lot with us getting nominated for the Metropolitan Honky Tonk Band of the Year. And then we went to Memphis and we won that. And through that, that kind of was the purpose of us starting to really tour. And we, because we got to meet a lot of contacts in Ameripolitan and Memphis uh, through Del Watson and, and all of his friends that were there and people that owned venues and they all booked us. So uh, our last record and it entered, through Ameripolitan, we got to know our guy named Kevin Skirla, who produced our last record and has produced all of our singles since then. Uh, but we, uh, yeah, we cut the, went in and cut a record. We were supposed to go in and record one song. He said, next time you guys come to Texas, come down and I'll, I'd love to record you guys a song. And we ended up staying two weeks and started working on a new record. And uh, it truly, I mean, when we, when we got together, we were kind of immediate friends. And uh, so we started working on that record and we uh, we released a, <clears throat> our first single off of it was a thing called Hunter Proof Hockey Talk that a friend of ours, Sean Oler, wrote. And and that started started to get us some attention. And then 
that kind of remained our most played song for a long time, for a couple of years. And then last year, through through TikTok, a song of ours called I'm Still Crazy, the oh. song that starts off, this old Budweiser beer, it's tasting better all the time. Uh, that kind of that kind of took off in a big way on TikTok, and then that's been a that's been a recently our our most played song that, and it's kind of amazing because we've been at shows and people show up, you know, off of say, oh, we drove down because we're you know we're big fans of you guys, we discovered you guys on TikTok, and it's kind of crazy. That, that's cool, dude. Um. I was just thinking, I just remembered that I just messaged him the other day. Aren't y'all friends with Chili Dog? <laughs> Aren't y'all friends with Michael? Well, it, it's funny. I, I mean, yeah, I guess so. We we uh we spent a day on a boat with Chili that, Dog. That's what I that's all I was gonna say. We met him we've met him once or twice, and then we showed up at a friend's boat the other day, and he was there, and we ended up spending the whole day and we picked music on the boat and hung out and had a good time. Yeah, I was, for some reason it just hit me that I messaged Michael the other day, and when I saw y'all on the boat with him, because this is like still before I had got y'all to actually agree to doing the show, and I was like, all right, Chili, I need you need you to hook us up with these boys. He he stays with us and hangs out with us when we're up there. And uh, oh, that's reason, awesome. Um, but you said Dale Watson a while ago, right? Yeah. All right. So first time I ever went to Fort Worth, we went to a bar, and he happened to be playing there. And he was all dressed up like he always is, hair slicked back and all that good shit. And he said one of the funniest things I ever heard in a bar, somebody hollered at him to play something else. And for those that don't know, Dale Watson ain't the person you fucking holler at and tell him to play something else. Dale hollers back at this person and is like, if you don't like George Jones, fuck you, get out. And I'm telling you, I about died right there because I'd never heard an artist talk to anybody like that before. And then I dived into who Dale was because I didn't really know him. And I was like, this dude's a badass. So that's cool that y'all were down there with him recording. Dale uh, Dale is probably the best entertainer uh, in, in country music right now. I mean, he, in my opinion, I always tell people that, you know, he he has a way with a way with people. And everybody loves Dale Watson. You know, if you go, if, if you don't like Dale's music, go to a show because you'll, you'll learn to like him after you go to a show. Uh, he's just spontaneous, you know, he, and which I respect him a lot. Cause I feel like uh, Matt and I are probably one of the only bands that don't use a set list. I mean, we, like we get up and we do, I mean, one song after another without a set list and just fill out the crowd and do whatever we do. And that's why he does, you know, he, uh, and it's just, he knows every song that, that you can think of. I've never and heard it's, really, it's just really cool. I've never heard of anybody going on stage on a set list. Yeah. That man, my, our, our dad used to, when we were kids, he would always talk, you know, about set lists. And he said, man, you can't, you can't write a set list. That's going to fill out your audience before a show. You know, he's like people's emotions change and the way they feel during a show. And you can tell, feel that by reading the crowd. And uh, gosh, I can, growing up, I can remember our dad, he would go from he stopped loving her today to great balls of fire, you know, Ooh. and stop in the middle of a song and just switch over. And because he could tell, you know, the crowd's just, this isn't where they're at right now. So is the kind of music, and, that, is the kind of music that y'all play what your dad normally played? 
Yeah, yes and no. Uh, I think a lot of it, a lot of it we learned through him. And then, you know, we've added a lot of stuff that he, I, I don't know. He did, a, he, he was around when it was top 40 country, you know, and he knew yeah. a lot. He would get, he would go further down the rabbit hole, I think, of stuff that Matt and I don't necessarily think is cool. <laughs> uh, you know, like our dad was, was born, our, our dad was born in 1937. So like, I mean, Jimmy Rogers and the Carter family and like old school stuff that now like, it's hard for me. It ain't going to keep my attention like a yeah. Merle Haggard or Waylon Jennings. Like our dad could sit there and listen to every song Jimmy Rogers recorded or, or an Eddie Arnold, you know, do cattle call all day and think, my God, this is the greatest music I've ever heard. Uh, yeah. I mean, you weren't, you weren't going to get out of, uh, go to a, a one of our dad's show with that. You know, he'd out where the bright lights are glowing. I'm drawn like a moth to a flame. And he'd do all the Jim, Jim Reeves stuff. And, and that's really not my bag. I mean, I can, yeah. I appreciate and respect what those guys did uh, for country music. And, uh, but it's just, you know, he would go on uh, medleys of Jim Reeves or Hank Williams or Hank Snell, and that's not that's not my thing. I don't I don't connect with it the way the way he did. You know, I can I connect with uh, with Merle Haggard music and Hank Jr. and all those guys much more than I do a Hank Senior or Jimmy Rogers or Jim Reeves or. Furlan Husky, all of those people, you know, it's just not. So he would, we picked up a lot of stuff from him, but a lot of stuff, you know, we've just, well, through listening to that kind of music, discovered, like he wasn't up doing, our dad wouldn't have been up doing David Allen Co. stuff. And, <laughs> well, the reason why I ask, it just seems like your dad and was a huge influence on y'all musically. Well, he was. Yeah. I just didn't Yeah, know he very heard. much was. I just didn't know what his set list or or what he would play would be as well. I was curious. I'll tell you, probably probably eighty percent of the songs we play are songs that were in our dad's set list. Uh, but then you know that other twenty percent of the other stuff, you know, our dad would do "Good Hearted Woman" and then go to "Oh, please release me, let me go," and uh, you know, then he may start doing you know, Elvis in the ghetto and then go from that to on the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. So. Yeah. I mean, he would do the drifters, know. the platters. I mean, he, he, he was, uh, he was doing top. This is an era of music. Yeah. He uh, wasn't afraid to pull out some, some Engelbert Humperdinck. Yeah. Um, no, <laughs> we try to keep it a little bit more solid, you know, country gold than I guess our dad. <laughs> Yeah, there's a bunch of that stuff you mentioned. I can't get into whatsoever. Uh, I think I think there's about yeah. four or five Hank Senior songs that I really like. Outside of yeah. that, yeah, I, I can't get into it. Well, yeah, I've had a thing for a, I've had a thing for a long time with the Hank Senior thing. I feel like, uh, and I hate to say this, I just feel like most people are 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 bullshitting and posing yeah. when. All they do is, oh well, Hank Senior is, you know, he's he's the greatest in the world. It's like, no, in 1953 he was. Yeah. In 1953, when he was singing about uh, topics that nobody else would touch, and he was writing songs that related to that, I wholeheartedly agree, and that's why I respect what he did. Uh, 
but it's just hard for me to think that there's a majority of people that would rather listen to Hank Williams senior than, than Hank junior. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just more relatable because it's closer to a generation and no matter how hard you want to be, you know, I wear bell bottoms around, you know, no, I wear seventies clothes and no matter how hard you want to roll up your Levi's and do that whole bit or wear bell bottom jeans, you can only relate with another generation. Just like we were talking with our dad, you know, of us not being able to connect with that because that's just not your generation. And that is not the way the world is anymore. And you can't connect with it on that level. And that's why it's hard for me. It's like, I got into it with a guy probably a year or two ago. He got on and got all bent out of shape because I expressed my opinion on Hank Sr. And I said, well, go ahead and name me, name me, a, name me top 10, your top 10 Hank Sr. songs. And he couldn't. And I said, well, well, then, so you're really not a Hank Sr. fan. Yeah. You're just a bullshitter. And he's like, well, no. I, well, no. Do you not realize what he did? And I said, well, that's not what it is. You know, I mean. What somebody does for anything is has nothing to do as if you're a fan. I can respect somebody for them helping evolve country music or whatever that might be. But, you know, I'm not going to lie and say that I'm that I'm going to go out and buy all of Hank Sr.'s music and listen to him all day in a car. Yeah, I think Hank is one of those, and I'm probably going to stick my foot in my mouth about the second one to y'all. But I think Hank is one of those, like Johnny Cash, that people like the story better than the music. 100 for sure yeah i don't i love everything about johnny cash besides his music he's got two or three yeah. that i absolutely like but they're not like my die hard songs and then hank senior i love his story like i my my dad always this was every time my dad would get good and tore up when i was a kid which was quite often every time he'd get good and tore up at the end of the night he would play hank senior but it would be like um, Lonesome Road or what is it? Uh, one of them. I can't even remember what the hell it's called. Uh, Lost Highway? Yeah, Lost Highway. Lost Highway yeah. and stuff like that. Like my dad would always get fucked up and play gospel like at the yeah. end of the night, right? And yeah. so that's where like if it's not one of those songs by Hank Sr., I'm not listening to it. And Johnny Cash, same way. Like there's really, there's really nothing. Yeah. Great stories. They were great for country music, but today, eh, like it's just eh to me. Well, and it's yeah. funny because we get we get requests for Johnny Cash, and and I, I actually am a, a I'm a big Johnny Cash fan. Uh, but like when you when you go pat any deeper than a Ring of Fire or uh, or Folsom Prison Blues, like if you get into like Ballad of a Teenage Queen or Give My yeah. Love to Rose or things like that. People have no idea you're even singing a Johnny Cash song, the people uh -huh. that are requesting. And it's like, oh, well, you're not a Johnny Cash fan. You just want me to sit up here and pretend like I'm a hard ass because you think Johnny Cash is a hard ass. Yeah. And it's like, instead of like, uh, or like flesh and blood or daddy sang bass, like they don't want you to sing daddy, daddy sang bass. Daddy sang bass. Daddy yeah. sang bass is my favorite one of his. That's like, uh, that's, yeah, I love, yeah. And, uh, Dude, and a little. I and the little shoe shine boy. Those are the only two that I really. That's the only two I like by Johnny Cash. Hey man, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm straight up listening to Chicken in Black. Yeah, I don't you even know, know if I've listened I mean, to that. I mean, it's nothing but a 80s, 1980s comical 
Johnny Cash singing about him getting his brain, having brain surgery and then putting a chicken brain in his head and giving, and he gets, or this chicken gets a, they put in a, the brain of a bank robber in this chicken or whatever. And it's hilarious. And I'm like, man, honestly, that's probably my favorite Johnny Cash tune. I'm like, I, I get more down with that than I do Folsom prison blues. Cause everybody, every time you're at the bar, they, and you do it because I mean, the crowd gets into it, but yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, people have, have turned that into, you know, Matt and I have talked and it's like, you go into the bars and people play it and they throw a bunch of overdrive on their guitar and they play this crazy guitar solo. And it's like, man, if you're going to do it, just play it like Johnny Cash and Luther Perkins. And, but that's not what they want. They want the, you know, the hard edge of Johnny Cash and, but people's, people's idea of people are so different you know it's like i mean the only time johnny cash ever spent in a prison was when he was playing a concert in it yeah you know he wasn't he wasn't in prison that was a thing forever that people you know acted like johnny cash spent time in prison and he didn't yeah you can definitely tell the difference between him and merle and co and the people that actually when they say are even johnny paycheck when they actually sing about a prison are they saying about something like it's like, uh, no, I get it. Like they did time. You didn't. Oh, yeah. dude, go listen to sing me back home by Merle Haggard. Oh, it's God, like that yeah. song right there grabs you. You know, it's like, whoa, that, uh, that's a story right there. And even, and even it's funny to me, like Merle Haggard was known. It was known that he didn't want people to know he was, that he had ever been in prison. Yeah. And uh, I believe it was Johnny Cash that told him, uh, and Matt, if you know the story, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Johnny Cash was the one that said, you know, tell the people, because if you tell them, they can never hold it against you if they find out, you know? And he was kind of the reason that, that Merle told everybody he had spent time because Merle was ashamed in it and embarrassed. He was like, I don't want people to think that I'm an ex-convict. And, uh, and then it kind of became a thing where, you know, Johnny Cash was like, well, if you don't tell them and they find out, then they're going to hold it against you. Can you imagine what would happen today if a country singer tried to come out of prison and record? Like, can you imagine oh, the bullshit that person would catch? Mm. You, you can't. That'd be a shit show. Yeah, you can't Being, yeah having a massive now. record deal. God, yeah, I mean it's because I mean Merle Haggard was a was a legit. I mean, convict. Yeah, I mean he was in a maximum security prison. He was in San Quentin. Isn't that where who did who met who in prison? Was it Coe and Merle that met in prison? Oh, I don't. I know. I know that Merle I don't, was there I, when Merle Merle saw Johnny Cash in prison. Maybe that's when Johnny Cash is. performed there. Maybe yeah. that's what it is. I thought there was a connection outside of that, but may, maybe that's all it is. And yeah, I, I don't really know. Great. You ahead, Maddie. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know. I know that a lot of people with the David Allen Coe thing that I don't. I really don't. I think David Allen Coe. Nobody kind of knows. Just he was like up in Ohio or something in prison. Like, and nobody really knows the terms of his prison sentence. Yeah, I got a feeling Coe did some fucked up shit. To be real with you, I have dove more. YouTube has shown me more of David Allen Coe interviews than I ever needed to see. Uh, oh yeah! Oh, this, dude, the one where he gets into the Mormon stuff is uh, great. I don't know if you've gotten seen, that yet. Haven't even seen that one. 
the one where he's oh, talking God. about if she don't act right, I'm gonna make her. Like sometimes you just gotta yeah. raise your raise your hand to make them act right. It's like, oh, I know why he's not in the oh, country yeah. hall of fame now, besides for the X-rated album. Like, I, yeah. I gotta he was wild, dude. And dude, like, he was, we, we did it. Yo, go ahead, Cole. We opened a show for David Allen Coe when I was 16. And, uh, man, I, I learned all that I needed to know about David Allen Coe in the first 20 minutes of the show we opened. He, uh, we showed up and I was setting up. And, I mean, I was pretty excited to be opening for David Allen Coe because I was a big, I mean, I was a big fan of his music. Like his, like, now, now I lay me down to cheat on the woman go, I love son. so. I'm like, man, I love all of that stuff. And even his early, like, 1975 like albums and he had a i grew up my dad our dad always sang a song uh i've got to take a drink to keep from uh crying and or shaking and another pretty country song is what it's called matt and i actually recorded it for a david allen co-tribute album that never i don't think it ever was made but uh man we got we got there and i was super excited and i'm you know 16 years old and the photographer for the show goes David Allen Coe was probably standing, I don't know, 10 feet from me. And he, this photographer was in between us. And he goes, hey, I, I want to get a picture of you and David Allen Coe. And David Allen Coe just turned and he goes, I don't want an effing picture with that kid. And I was like, like oh, okay. I was like, I don't want a picture with you either, brother. Don't worry about it. And yeah. I walked off and I was like, man, what a prick, you know? Who does that to I mean, I recognized at the time, I'm like, who does that to a 16-year-old? You know, I mean, I, I knew. I'm like, man, I'm a kid. That, Which it didn't, I mean, it didn't affect me because I still listen to David Allen Coe's music. I just think he's, a, you know, I think he's kind of a degenerate person. But, uh, but yeah, man, you just don't, I always, I've always felt you just don't treat people like that. Yeah, uh, I don't have a good David Allen Coe story. Like, I, every time I've heard from anyone, and I'm, I'm in Georgia, I'm not far from him. And I have – he's one of those dream guests to have on the show, though, to where you could sit yeah. down and him really open up and be himself. But at the same time, it's like I'm scared to death he's going to bite my fucking head off if I say one wrong thing. And it's almost to the point to where it's it's cool to be an asshole, but it's not cool to be that much of an asshole. Yeah, there's yeah, – you know, is. it's like – a lot of and, and there's people that can care. It's funny that there's certain people that can carry an image without that being who and separated on a personal level. It's like musically, Waylon Jennings to me, it's hard to get any tougher than Waylon Jennings musically. It's like he just walks around like, you know, if you talk to me, I'm going to punch you in the face. Yeah. And our dad spent the spent a whole uh, KLAC used to have a disc jockey Larry Scott and he did an all night trucking show that was uh, recorded out of a club in Los Angeles that our dad played six nights a week called Dodge Saloon in 1974. And uh, one night he Larry Scott told our dad stick around because we got Waylon's coming in he's going to sit all night and talk with us on the radio. And our dad always said he was the nicest guy that that he could have ever ran across he was like man he was yes sir and no sir and just the friendliest person and treated us like we were his best friend you know and i think i think well, that's cool and i've heard a lot of great wayland stories of people yeah. 
Oh, even our cousin met him and our cousin Scott, who's our manager, met him in, what was it, 99 or 2000, 2001, somewhere right before he died. Yeah. Uh, and he was just standing out. Was it the Troubadour or Whiskey Go-Go? Uh, I can't remember. Boy. Yeah, I, don't, I can't remember either. He was up there. It was at Shooter's but, show. Shooter was, had a show, and he said he was right down there. I think it might have been Sunset Boulevard or one of those in Hollywood. He said he was standing there, and our cousin knew who he was. He's like, there's a bunch of young kids at the show. Nobody knew who Waylon was. And he said, I, you know, our cousin knew who it was because of his dad, our uncle. That's all he listened to is country music. And our cousin Scott's like, man, that's, that's Waylon Jennings over there leaning up against the outside of this club. And he said, I walked over, and he was like, Waylon was like the salt of the earth to him, you know, just the nicest guy ever. And so I think it's cool when somebody can carry an image. You know, you can be – you can be the cool dude without, you know, making yeah. people ruining people's, uh, you know, just respect for you. Yeah, we had uh, we had Johnny Paycheck's son on the show uh, like two weeks ago, and he told us about like we talked about Waylon for a few minutes, and he said the same thing. He was like growing up, like he was Uncle Waylon to us, and he was just the yeah. absolute nicest person ever. Yeah, I've never heard I've never heard like an asshole Waylon story from no. anybody that was talking to him is a friend of friend. Now, maybe musically, you know, or like, you know, I know he walked off that show after the guy wouldn't get him on there and took up all his Tom time Snyder. and things like that. Yeah, Tom Snyder, you know, but anybody that just met Waylon like face to face, I've never heard a bad story. They were just like, oh, he'd cut up and, you know, he was just like the coolest, nicest dude in the world. And. Uh, you know, even the George Jones story where he goes over there and George Jones tried to pick a fight with him and Waylon tied him to a tree and was like, sober your ass up, George. He, like, it wasn't like he didn't knock George Jones out. Like, he wanted him to sober up because it was his buddy. You know what's crazy? Uh, So we've had Georgette on the show. We've had uh Johnny Paycheck's son, John, on the show now. The Tales from the Tour Bus, have y'all seen that? Oh, okay. yeah. Yes. They talk about how much they hate it and how full of shit it is oh yeah and, and everything sure. but i still like it's hard for me not to turn it on at the studio it, it, it's, oh, no, hard. it's great god it's so good but at the same time it's yeah hard. but i never thought of it like when they were t telling me all the stories and everything when we did the shows with them it was like i have to remember when i idolize Keith Whitley or I idolize George Jones for their drinking and their partying and their wild ways and all this kind of shit. There were people that had to grow up with them as parents. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And it's it's a completely different thing. Sure. Well, dude, and just just the, to me, it's like you know, when you talk about idolizing it and everything and you kind of grow up and you're like, oh, man, you know, this guy's cool for this or this guy's, you know, oh, this guy's, you know, he's a badass. And I think about I Matt and I grew up in a totally different way because we just didn't, you know, we didn't have our dad was like Mr. Business with his music. And he was I, I made a joke a couple of years ago. Somebody asked him if our dad drank. I said, I drank more last night than my dad probably drank in his whole life. Wow. And and I mean, that, that was really true. I mean, I, I watched my dad take a drink maybe four times in my life. And it was like a drink it wasn't you know oh my my dad got drunk tonight uh this doesn't really happen often it was oh my dad had a you know had a beer tonight this is really crazy and uh and he didn't smoke he didn't smoke at all he didn't he really yeah he didn't that wasn't his thing and 
And talking about people idolizing that, to me, it's like there was a time when that wasn't cool. Like yeah. all those people that bought a ticket to see George Jones, they they weren't being like, oh, man, George Jones is a hard ass. You know, he didn't show up tonight. They were pissed that they paid $8.95 to see George Jones play at the O'Hara Arena in 1981, and he didn't show up. You know, it's like they all, you know, these, we're talking about blue-collared people that are – paying to see George Jones come to town and this is their entertainment for the year or whatever. And George won't get off the bus because he's too drunk. Yeah. And you know, it even, I'll have to shoot you a picture of it. Uh, But I've got a, I've got a newspaper. Our dad opened for George Jones. Oh, that's cool. uh, In San San Antonio, Texas in 1983. And at the time our dad was kind of getting a girl named Tiffany who had a hit called, I think we're alone now. Uh, he got her started in the music business and he was taking her around and helping her out when she was 10 to probably 14 years old. And uh, he had got her booked on this show with him as the opener before our dad. And then our dad came out and then it was supposed to be Jerry Lee Lewis and George Jones. Well, Jerry Lee Lewis had been partying and he blew his intestines out uh, like a week or two before the show and he had to cancel the show. So it put him down to Tiffany, our dad and George Jones. And then, Dad came out and did his show, and they come out and they're like George Jones and the Jones Boys, and there's no George Jones. And uh, so the Jones Boys came out and started to do some of the songs, and then they kicked they they started booing the band off the stage because they wanted George Jones. And uh, I think I feel like it started with 4,500 people were at the show, and. Uh, then the promoter walked over to our dad and said, do you know any George Jones songs that you can do? And dad said, yeah, I know. I know every George Jones song he'll do tonight. I'll go out and put on his show for him. And it quickly ended for our dad. They ended up doing our dad off the stage too. And uh, <laughs> obviously, because it's not George Jones. Yeah, exactly. And he said, eventually, then George Jones came out. Well, then George Jones's band wouldn't come out because they were pissed that they're like, we didn't do anything wrong. And they've set and booed us off the stage. We're not going out. Well, it became a big fiasco, and finally when everybody got together and came out, George Jones, our dad said the first thing he said when he walked on stage was he grabbed the mic and said, I might be a little inebriated, but don't worry, folks, I'm going to sing myself sober. And the promoter was pissed, and our dad said the first note he sang, he goes, he could out-sing me too drunk to stand up when I'm sober, you know? And he did the show, and, and, and the in the newspaper it says, Drunk Jones cycles off with girlfriend and bottle of tequila he just like untrailered a motorcycle that was he was pulling in a trailer behind his tour bus and got on this harley and i guess with some chick from the show or whatever and cycled off holding a bottle of tequila and uh so anyway our dad was quoted in the newspaper you know of saying you know i'll, I'll never work with george jones again because they wouldn't pay him his money for opening the show and they said, well, we, we, nobody's getting paid on this show until we figure out why George Jones didn't come out on time. And our dad, you know, he said, well, I can, I can settle that for you real quick. He didn't come out because he was drunk. And I need my money because we've got a plane to catch back to California. And so it was, a, it was a big deal. And our dad later said, I regretted saying that, you know, I would never work with George Jones again in my life. Because, you know, he ended up straightening up and getting his stuff together. And it became a funny thing, you know. Him, but, on, him pulling off on a Harley with a bottle of tequila and a woman is the reason why I have uh, – I've got a tattoo 
and it says WWGJD. What would George Jones do? And I always, I always ask myself that before every bad decision I've ever made. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's something to say for for those guys that did that because if they probably wouldn't have lived that way, it the feeling probably wouldn't have been there in a, in a certain aspect, you know, even the songwriters, there's a, I won't mention any names, but Whitey Schaefer wrote a song called all my exes live in Texas. <laughs> and when he was dying, somebody had asked for a little bit of help, you know, on expenses or something. And, and some of the people in the industry here in Nashville said, you know, we we're not responsible for his bad choices. And, and the guy that was trying to help, he said, well, you know what? And this company had made millions off of his songs. And he said, you know, if it wasn't for Whitey Schaefer's decisions he made, the song would have been called All My Ex Live in Texas and it would have sucked. Yeah, you know? exactly. And and it's true, you know, it's like the, the way they lived turned into the music that they wrote. And the reason that you can sit around, you know, depressed and feeling down about your life and turn it on and it, you know, gives you that feeling. Yeah, Around here, we listen to depressed songs to make us happy. We exactly. Hey, I, I, I look. There's not a happy song on my playlist. Not never. No. It is. It, it, I can't listen to happy shit. Yeah. No. I don't know. You you guys have got a couple. I know we've talked about a lot of artists, and we'll get off here in a minute. But you guys have a bunch of those songs, though. That the way that we're talking about these older songs, how they make us feel. More people need to hear y'all's because they make me feel when I listen to y'all stuff the same way. Like you get the same energy, you get the same storytelling, you get just the same. It's hard to classify or put a word on it, but it's just as good. Like it's just stuff that maybe you don't know start to finish yet, but it's, it's the same storytelling and it's the same. It just grabs a hold of you and it doesn't let go. That's why I've been trying my damnness to get y'all on the show. And because you could just tell, like, one day somebody's going to look at y'all and be like, that song right there made me. I always judge a song by if it makes me want to drink or not. And I mean it in the best way. Like, if I hear your song, it's either going to make me want to have a good time or it's going to make me want to drown myself in a bottle of Buffalo Trace. But in a yeah. good way, like, it touches you. Man, I'll drive around sometimes and listen to music to the point where it's like, I got to go to the bar. And I got to listen. I got to, I got to go somewhere and find somewhere that a band's playing. And we, we had a buddy that, I mean, I'm all about turning your life to the Lord and, and that whole deal. And he, he did. And he's from Arkansas, Matt knows who I'm talking about, but he, he, one time he said, he's like, man, I cannot listen to Johnny paycheck <laughs> without wanting to go get drunk and cheat on my wife. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's like I—I I mean, I—I—I I, I, I get it. You know, it's like he's like I—that I, is not a part of my life anymore because it can't be. I've turned my life to God, and that is the feeling I get when I listen to that music. And he, I know that this I guy I don't listen to it. This, this guy couldn't put Johnny Paycheck in his CD player because he was going to go out and find some nasty gal and like start start smoozing her because he was just like, man, Johnny Paycheck makes me want to go to a bar. Listen to this country music. Gee. I, I'm telling you, I could listen to Drunk on Arrival. Or my favorite by him is Outlaw's EOA. Prayer. Outlaw's Prayer is my favorite oh. song. But Man, I'll tell you I'll tell you what, Josh, if you ever get a chance, 
listen to when I was when I was 16 years old, there was a guy named Joe Willett. Rest his soul. He was, I mean, the cool about the coolest dude you could ever meet. And he drank a 30 pack of beer a day, uh, whether he was thirsty or not. And we'd sit around and he dr- he was Matt's drummer. And I would play bass for Matt. We'd go to this place called the Obby out in uh out in Laughlin, Nevada. It was an Indian yeah. uh reservation casino. And I wasn't allowed to stick around after the show. I'd have to go back to the room. So he was like, you know what? I'm not partying if you can't party with me. So I'm going to start bringing a cooler and icing it down with beer. And at the end of the show, let's just tell the front desk we want our hotel rooms next to one another so we can party with each other. I'm like, you know, you're 16 years old, and this sounds about like the best time I could ever picture having. I'm like, you know, the, the older dude, he was probably 60 at the time, late fifties. And I'm like, man, the older dude that knows about all this country music and he's this cool dude. He wants to hang with me, you know? And I remember going back to his room one night and he cracked me open a beer and passed it to me. And he goes, man, I've just stumbled up on something that I haven't seen in a hundred years. And I want to play it for you. And he played me Johnny paycheck live at the Lone Star cafe. Uh, and it was a record called New York town. And there's a song on it called memory of a memory. It's above my head. It's literally above my head right now. You're looking at it right now. That's that's Um, yeah. Is it right there? Yeah, dude. Memory of a memory is my all-time favorite Johnny Paycheck song. Uh, I I can I try to do it as much as we can at shows too. It's just there's something about you know. That opening line, I guess I owe the neighbors an explanation about the noise coming from this old house and me. I'm like, man, that is, that's cool. Dude, it doesn't get any better. But y'all realize, yeah. like, the stuff that y'all are putting out has the same the same hooks, the same feel, the same vibe of all these guys that we're talking about. Well, we appreciate that. I mean, I, I promise and- you, I'm not a kiss-ass. If y'all were to listen to the show on most episodes, I sound like a cunt. I really do. I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not the nicest person ever. I just know what is country to me, and I don't ever say yeah. the other shit is bad. I really don't. Like it's it's obviously got a market. It's obviously got a feel for people, and they enjoy it to each their own. But it's so hard to find guys like y'all, guys like Brett Shiroki. Bobby Pinson needs to put more shit out. I don't care if he just wants to ride or not. Like people like that, that are traditional grab you by your heartstrings, by your gut country. And that's what y'all shit is. I just want y'all to to really know that. Well, we can't thank you enough because and and I think Matt feels the same way as I do. Uh, That's all you want is for me. I, I took up songwriting real serious, I don't know, probably right before we released the last record because of Del Watson. And it was a big, almost a bigger, I feel like, I don't know, maybe Matt will have an opinion on this. I, I feel like it was almost a bigger deal six or seven years ago to write your own songs and record your own songs than it is, than it is now. It, it felt like to me at the time anyway, you know, where it was like you were kind of a piss on if you didn't, if every song on your record wasn't written by you. Yeah. And, and I, I personally would get so wrapped up in other songs 
I was writing stuff, but I would get so connected with other people's songs, like, well, the way they'd make me feel, because you're, if you lived it and you write it, it doesn't feel the same way, you know, the first time you hear Misery and Gin by Merle Haggard, you're thinking, good Lord, I, I'm going to run a needle through this thing, playing it, because it's, you know, it's it's coming from a different perspective, and and it hits you different, you know, when it's not you. And then I think at that point we we started writing more because it was just a thing where it was like people would kind of like talk down to you because all your songs weren't written by you. So we started doing that more. And when that started happening, that was kind of a goal of a personal goal of mine was to find just one person that would connect with something that we that we wrote the way I'm going to connect with putting on back to the bar rooms by Merle Haggard or serving one ninety proof. And, uh, and, and that's, and that is about all you could, all you can hope for is a, a new songwriter, I think. And, and way Matt talked earlier about Joe Nichols and stuff like Bobby Penson, Bobby Penson to me, you know, he isn't Bobby Penson isn't doing seventies country music. Uh, he's doing his thing and he's like one of my heroes in songwriting, but we when he the day he released the shave, uh, if if you've heard, I'm yeah you've heard it. He re, he uh, released it on this show first. We we he released it on this show first. I've seen the video. Yeah, there is there a video of that? Uh, I think we recorded something when we were at Seagull recording with him, but I don't remember. But I know the first time that it was ever put out, it was it was on our show. Dude, when he says that line old as my dad when I was that young watching Ooh. a little boy disappear uh, smiling proud fighting back tears like he did then when we were here I heard me hear him say I'm like dude that, that the way he just crossed over every different view of the age and your son being your age and you being your dad's age it's like whoa that's songwriting and yeah man it doesn't it doesn't have to be to me, songwriting is songwriting. I can listen to John Prine or Guy Clark. Like my heroes really aren't like necessarily even what we do. You know, it's like yeah. we don't do Guy Clark and and that stuff. You know, that's not our our thing because that's just not what I grew up, what we grew up on. But I feel like that stuff and listening to Bobby Penson and the way he can like I found peace, piece by piece. It's like that is it's just a cool way of writing. And I try to pick up all that stuff from different people and then put it into life experiences. Well, well, what I try to tell even like the young artists that I work with that come to the studio to write or hang out or whatever is with me, you got two different options. You either can write for now, or you can try to write something that people are going to still remember in 10 years from now. I like, I like the legacy of stuff of taking your time, and doing it right and putting your heart and your soul down on paper and it actually meaning something to you. Now I understand everybody's got to make mailbox money or whatever, but yeah, you don't have to do that all the time for yourself. You can write for other people and try to get a paycheck, but why can't you, when it comes to your own music, why can't you just be authentically you and try to make something that is going to resonate with somebody 10, 15 years from now, and that's why I think I've gravitated a lot towards, you know, y'all songs and other artists that are like y'all because you're so authentic and you're different. 
and it hits you different than it hits anybody else. And that's just so hard nowadays. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And it, it's a, uh, it's kind of a, I know it's got to be difficult for, I know there, I'm sure there's people out there that want to do it and it's difficult because you kind of, you have to make a choice in a way of like, I'm either going to do it to my heart or do what I think, you know, I've got, I have songs set now. I got 1500 voice recordings on the phone that I have right now. And, you know, there's songs in there that I think to myself, this would be, a, this could be a current country radio hit, but it's not something that, you know, Matt and I would ever think of even consider recording. Cause it's just like, man, that's just the end for me. And I don't know, maybe the integrity or your music integrity isn't in that song. You know, it's like, that's not what I want people to remember us by. Yeah. 20 years from now, you know, oh, that was that flash in the pan that, you know, everybody could sing along on the course to it. Uh, but there but there also is that thing where. People are good. At, people are good at that. You know, I'm not knocking anybody. It's like, hey, if somebody didn't love it, Luke Bryan wouldn't be having, you know, wouldn't have had a string of number one hits. Yep. You know, I agree. With and you. and there's a there's an audience for everybody. And if Luke Bryan called me tomorrow and said, Hey, would the Reese brothers want to come out and open our tour? Hell yes, they would. You know? Well, I mean, there's, it's just different. It's not that anything's bad. It's, it's different. It Bobby even says on the show, the first one we did with him at Seagull, he he says that music is made now for 16 year old girls to 24 year old girls or 22. I can't remember. And it's, so yeah. people will stream it. So people will do whatever. But also the way that I remember shit is I can't tell you what Luke Bryan's last single was, but I can tell you what his first one that I ever identified with was. So it's where I get, I get why people do it, but at the same yeah. time, I want people focusing on, like, I think everyone, including people who don't write music, I think everyone has one great song in them because they're the only person that can tell your life story through a song. And when yeah. people actually put life experiences into songs, that's when it resonates with people. And it's where you've got staying power and where people's going to remember you. And that's where I think with you guys, like I said, uh, I, I just think that it takes, it's going to take more people to find out about y'all. And it's sad that it ha like people haven't, but I've not had anybody that I've showed your music to that they haven't been like, fuck yeah. And that's why I'm excited about next week on the 13th. That's why I wanted to give y'all a whole hour to just do y'all because I really hope the people that are there are like, if they don't know who you are, which is sad if they don't, they're like, why the fuck haven't I known about these guys? These guys are the real deal. Well, there'll be an audience of people that haven't heard who we are. We promise you, Josh. Well, <laughs> Well, they're they're gonna love that they got to catch you first at my show. Well, but, man, we we appreciate it, and we you know we hope that hope that we keep resonating with more people, so we can buy a vehicle that wasn't from a buddy of ours front yard. You know. <laughs> well, well, fellas, do this real fast. Drop your social media uh, handles. Um, if y'all've got any shows coming up this weekend, uh, tell them where they're at, and because uh, this show's gonna come out Friday morning. So, um, yeah, drop all that good stuff so we can get y'all some more followers and, and some more people checking y'all out. Awesome, man. Yeah, we uh, our Instagram is uh, The Reeves Brothers. And over on TikTok, it's uh, The Reeves Bros. Uh, we also 
I'm going to plug this. We got a brand new podcast called Brothers of the Road, and uh, there's some there's a lot of crazy tour stories over there. That's what that's all about. Is just uh, about ten years of of all of our journeys and travels and all the craziness and fights we've gotten to with each other with other people. Uh, everything over there, and so. Yeah, go follow Brothers with the Road. Our first guest is going to be Craig Morgan. Uh, he's going to he's going to do our first thing over there, so that's coming up too. And uh, yeah, we don't have any shows coming up uh, this weekend because Cole we're going to be in California. Cult Persona on September fifteenth. We'll be playing in Columbia, and uh, it's actually at a at a newer coffee shop. And on the third Friday of every month, weather permitting and not and considering it not being a holly, uh, holiday. They're uh, they're doing a like an art display thing where everybody gets kind of go be a part of the arts district and they've uh, contacted us and asked us to play there. So from four to seven p.m. at Colpersona in Columbia on Friday, September fifteenth, Matt and I will be there playing a bunch of original Columbia tunes and all that. Columbia, Columbia Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah, there you go. Well, boys, y'all got to follow yeah. me back on TikTok so I can share your shit on there too and it actually gets some tread. Uh, it's JLTerry1987. It's almost like my Instagram. Uh, that way when I make the video to put this out on Friday to promote it, uh, we can drive more people towards your page even there too. Uh, but, dude, I want to thank both awesome. of y'all. I want to thank both of y'all for hanging out for a little bit, talking some shit with me. And uh, I look forward to y'all coming next Wednesday. Uh, it's gonna be cool, dude. I'm I'm very excited, dude. We can't Josh, wait. We happy birthday! What? Happy early birthday! We're happy Thank that you, we uh, and, we can be there to celebrate. Oh, dude, we're gonna have a good time. And uh, one more thing too, uh, I we do this thing uh, to where every once in a while, and I've got to plan the next one out. And I want to make sure you guys are a part of it. So before we started doing shows at Live Oak. What we would do is we would get some artists and we would sit around a Airbnb table and we record and it's all us drinking, talking shit, everybody playing songs, laughing, cutting up, just having a damn good time. Uh, I definitely the next one we do, I want to get you guys on. Like this, it's like well, a private thing, but I think you two would. Everybody would just die. Would you two? Oh, we'd, we'd love, love it, it, man. Well, cool, dude. Well. Guys, thank you very much. I'll see you next week. Thank you all for hanging out. And thank everybody for listening to the Josh Terry podcast. I will catch you all later.